Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Ken samples on why sin is actually a disordered love of things which are good in and of themselves. We don't stop being lovers and worshipers, Bill. Instead, we extend our love and our worship to temporal things rather than eternal things. And the challenge with that is we become unfulfilled and discontented because those temporal things were never intended to meet our spiritual needs. Ken Samples, next on His People. Reasons to Believe scholar Ken Sample says humans were created to be lovers and worshipers of God. But sin has distorted that love and directed it instead to other things, making us idolaters. But the story doesn't end there. Right now, we talk with Ken Samples about his piece, Sin as a Disorder of the Good. Ken, before discussing today's topic, I'd like to ask you about how you describe in your bio your passion in your work. That is to help people understand the reasonableness and relevance of Christianity's truth claims. So why are reasonableness and relevance so important, and how do you go about demonstrating those? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I, I think today, Bill, maybe more than ever, People don't have a clear idea of what uh, mere Christianity is, just basic Christianity. And um, it's always been a, a passion of mine for many years, not only to help people understand, you know, doctrines like the Trinity, the Incarnation, the Atonement, the Resurrection, but also to help them to see that there are good reasons for believing Christianity is true. And I, I, I like something Tim Keller said. He said that uh, people often have to have to want Christianity to be true before they can come to believe that it is true. Mm. And so in my apologetic effort, a lot of times it is just merely explaining what are the distinctive features of Christianity, how they compare and contrast with other worldviews, whether religious or secular. And again, uh, Christianity has some strong competitors today. So I try to talk about uh, why Christianity is good, why it's relevant, and why people ought to believe it. Well, Ken, going to our topic today, sin as a disorder of the good, uh, it's a disorder. Uh, it's something that distorts good things that God created. What, what were human beings originally made to do. Scripture explains it uh, as as the Bible teaches we were created uh, in God's image. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I think directly out of being made in the image of God that we were created to love God. We were great, created to worship God. And, uh, you know, Scripture is replete with those statements. Uh, Jesus hits it right on the head when he says in uh, Luke 10.27, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. I think Jesus there is really saying, love God with your entire being, because that's what you were created to do. In Luke 4.8, he says something similar, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And what's interesting, Bill, is that even the Hebrews, even the Jewish people who had interaction with God and saw the cloud in the miracles— uh, they would uh, unfortunately fall into idolatry, even having seen these things. Well, how much more is it possible that 
that we could make that same fatal error. Well, can our condition then uh, is clearly different, the condition which we find ourselves in personally and corporately as a people, as human beings, is different than how we were originally uh, created. How does the Bible talk then about um, the, the concepts of a fallenness, the fallenness and idolatrous human condition, which is obviously our predicament? Yes, very much so. I, I think it's helpful sometimes to think about the Christian worldview in terms of four successive events. The first is creation, which would include not only the universe, but humans made in the image of God. But secondly, the catastrophic fall. Adam and Eve, as the first two human persons and as the representatives of humanity, rebelled against God. This brought forth uh, a catastrophic result uh, that we would die as human beings, that we would be morally corrupted, and that we were guilty in Adam uh, corporately. Uh, what, of course, follows is the good news, redemption. Christ comes into the world and fulfills all of those uh, pointers we see in the Old Testament about God forgiving sin. And then finally, consummation. So, I think that this issue of the fall is is very critical to talk about because even for believers, there are still challenges that that old fallen nature plays in terms of our relationship with God. And I think it's awfully important to recognize what happens to us. And what I mean by that is that we don't stop being lovers and worshipers, Bill. Instead, we extend our love and our worship to temporal things rather than eternal things. And the challenge with that is we become unfulfilled and discontented because those temporal things were never intended to meet our spiritual needs. And so my whole life I've seen uh, Hollywood people, uh, uh, celebrity athletes, who talk about, I made a lot of money, I had a lot of pleasure, um, you know, I had everything at my fingertip, but I ultimately was unfulfilled. And I think, well, that's the story of the Bible, that's the story of Adam, it's the story of St. Augustine, it's the story of Ken Samples, it's all of us. So, so Ken, even though we may not see it this way, or we may not like to see it this way, you're saying, as humans, we, we want to worship something, but sin causes us to worship, really, in a sense, anything but God. Yes, and I, I think even people who identify as being very secular, atheists, agnostics, skeptics, inevitably they're all looking for an ultimate concern. If it's not God, it will be the environment, it will be politics, it will be their own personal satisfaction and fulfillment. We are by nature worshipers. And uh, we can't shut it off. Um, and so that dilemma, uh, the human predicament, I think I think previously we talked a little bit about uh, an atheist, uh, Keith Parsons, who said the thing he thought Christianity gets right on the money is human sinfulness. And I think that's right. And if the Bible is right about the human condition, I think it's likely it's right about all the other things as well. Uh, Mr. Ken Samples is my guest today on His People. He is senior scholar at Reasons to Believe, and today we're talking about sin as a disorder of of the good, of what of what God has created, what God has created us to to love and to uh, 
uh, treat in a way that uh, is pleasing to him. And so just moving to that, Ken, there are numerous areas in our lives, things that are good in and of themselves, but has distorted our approach to them, our love of them, our use of them. And I'm wondering if, if you could touch on perhaps three commonly disordered uh, loves. Yes, I'd ha- be happy to. You know, I, I appreciate very much that uh, St. Augustine and the great German reformer Luther, they use this expression in Latin, incurvitas in se, which means curved in on oneself. Mm. So what the fall does, being made in the image of God, we are to be pointed outward, externally, to God, to love our neighbor. What sin is, is it warps us, it curves us within. And we can see that, I think, in some of the sins that we we all struggle with. Um, You know, one of them has to be gluttony, which is one of the so-called seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. It's it's an excessive love or overindulgence for food and drink. And of course, food and drink are are good things, but we indulge in them. Uh, People have struggles not only with obesity, but we have struggles with alcoholism uh, and things of that nature. And oftentimes, again, we're looking for fulfillment, uh, but in all the wrong places. Of course, the biblical virtue in contrast to gluttony would be temperance. It would be self-control. And the Apostle Paul is very clear, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Now, the context there is uh, a sexual context, but I think it's perfectly appropriate. We have a hard time kind of controlling the uh, impulses of our, of our body. And um, what, what I, again, what I find interesting is that uh, when God saves us by grace, he begins to change So he begins to reorder what has been disordered by sin. Let's talk briefly about two others. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, money is a big issue in life. It's nice to have money when you want to buy groceries, when you want to pay your mortgage, when you want to help your kids get through school. Money is not a bad thing in and of itself. But what we do is we become uh, excessively concerned about money. It becomes the most meaningful thing in our life, and therefore we engage in greed and avarice. And, you know, the classic passage is, again, Paul's statement in 1 Timothy 6 through 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's easy for money to become an idol uh, where people want to accumulate wealth, or even for Christians to have an excessive worry Mm -hmm. uh, about financial issues. Of course, the contrasting biblical virtue would again be generosity, and that's really a great word to describe God. God is generous in his love, in his mercy, in his grace. He tells us, and Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, that we should be gracious, we should be giving, uh, just as, as God gives sacrificially to the people that he loves. And then, of course, a, another uh, sin, another disorder is sex. It, it is lust. Sex is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. That's how human beings procreate. That's how people express their love uh, to, to the one they're married to. Uh, the problem, however, is that people like to isolate the pleasure of sex from any of the covenantal responsibility. 
and uh, people again um, make sexual relations a craving. I mean, think of the pornography, think of the troubles that all people to some degree struggle with. And, um, you know, Jesus says that it's, it's not merely a act, it's also uh, lust is something in the mind that can ultimately lead potentially to idolatry. And, of course, the contrast is purity. Um, again, Paul says that we should honor God with our, our body. And Bill here is something I think is awfully important. It's been meaningful to me. And that is that it's tempting to think that if I could do all these other things, you know, I could have as much sex as I want, as much money as I want, to eat and drink as I please. Um, it's important, I think, for Christians to appreciate that, you know what, being committed to one woman in a covenant of marriage will give you greater fulfillment. Um, you can enjoy food, you can, you can appreciate money, but you are not, you know, under the heavy hand of those kinds of things. And so it's been helpful for me in my own Christian life to realize, you know what, Lord, you need to reorder these things. They have been disordered. And, and here's the diabolical aspect of sin. It's not just that we do bad things, it's that we misuse good things. That's the difficulty. So I love, uh, I learned this from Augustine, um, and I, I think it's, it's a very important element that comes to us from the scriptures. Well, Ken, um, you believe that uh, idolatry, as I understand it, well, you write about it in your piece, sin is a disorder of the good, that it effectively we're worshiping, as you've been describing, things other than God. But then to do that, um, and of course that it entails uh, misusing things that, as you said, are were created good by God, leads to a deep-seated uh, discontentment and unfulfillment in life, which, uh, ironically, many people who will seek those disordered loves uh, are trying to find that contentment and fulfillment, but it's actually leading them away from it. That's exactly right. Uh, I remember John Lennon, the famous uh, Beatle, uh, a musician in the 60s. John Lennon said, I, I'm now as rich and famous as I ever wanted to be and nothing's happening. Hmm. I've seen so many people say, Bill, that once they achieved financial success or, you know, again, had pleasure at their fingertips, they often said, is that all there is? Uh, well, again, we were intended for something different, and this unfulfillment, this discontentment, I think should point us that we're missing something, and our lives uh, are unfortunately disordered. I think this is a very important thing that the average everyday Christian can share with their, their non-Christian friends. You know, the human condition is one of discontentment. What what's the answer to that problem? Mm. And you've addressed a number of uh, well in your book, classic Christian thinkers, and uh, and in other places, blog posts, and so on. Have any Christian thinkers? I think you you referred to Augustine a little earlier in this discussion. Written about uh, this subject and anything you'd care to mention that they've said? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, I think immediately of three thinkers. Augustine's Confessions is all about mm. this topic of 
of, you know, Augustine wanted to, to be a spokesperson for Caesar. He wanted to have as much pleasure as he could possibly have. He loved the theater. He loved drink and food. He found that to be unfulfilling. But I also see it in Blaise Pascal, who talks about human beings as an enigma of greatness and wretchedness. Greatness, the image of God, but at the same time wretched because of the fall. And then maybe the, the most contemporary spokesperson here is C.S. Lewis, who writes about these uh, elements that we yearn for something more. We desire something more, and yet these uh, temporal things, which are good, but Bill, our wives, our spouses, were never intended to meet our deep existential needs. Money is a good thing, but merely accumulating it isn't going to lead to deep fulfillment. And so I see uh, that's one of the reasons Augustine and Pascal and Lewis are three of my favorite thinkers, because I think this has such an importance in terms of not only living our lives as believers, but sharing our faith with others. What is the human dilemma? What's the human condition? What kind of solution can we propose? And it seems, if I remember correctly, C.S. Lewis said something like, if we have these desires for something beyond what we are currently experiencing, I think he said something to the effect that perhaps we've been made for someplace else, that it might point us to God. Exactly. He says that maybe we were made for another world. And this is the called the argument from desire. Um, again, I like to emphasize that I think a powerful apologetic argument is that Christianity seems to have pegged the anthropology. Um, again, only human beings create the natural sciences, engage in art, take, take us to the moon, engage in philosophical reflection, and yet we're also the only ones on the planet that create Auschwitz, that are prejudiced, that suffer from bias. Mm -hmm. I think Christianity has such a powerful thing to say about our humanness. And from a biblical Christian uh, viewpoint, Ken, you, you write that such a discussion of sin is incomplete unless it includes a discussion of God's grace. And if you would tell us how God's grace provides the solution to, to sin and really the way forward for us. Yes, I think that, uh, you know, I always make the point, I will never talk, uh, give a talk or write an article or a book that I talk about the human condition of sin without also talking about grace. I mean, a lot. if you look within yourself and you look at the human race, you can become uh, despaired at where we are. But then we hear the gospel, uh, and those in the Reformed tradition, they often talk about law and gospel. I know in my church we go through the Ten Commandments, and guess what the first commandment is? Uh, you know, have nothing other than God. Why? Because we're just like the Hebrews. God has done great work in our life, but somehow we, we extend our love in other directions. But the message is, is remarkable, and I'll, I'll just read this passage from Paul. I never get tired of Titus 3, 4 through 8. Paul says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And uh, Bill, what I like to do in my writing and in my books and in my lectures, I say, here's the pattern of salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, in the person of Christ, not by works, but saving grace motivates us to, to, to allow the Spirit to reorder our lives. And, you know, again, I think, I, I think about my wife and I think how much I have grown by my relationship with her and by being committed to her. I, I think of uh, how much I have uh, grown in, in thinking about how God can, can help me with my finances, can help me with my, my desire for things. And so it's important to realize God hasn't left us in our sinful condition, and he has given us, the Father has given us his two greatest gifts. He gave us his, his Son, who is our Savior, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, uh, his Spirit, we called the Holy Spirit, who is our advocate uh, and our helper. And so salvation is a gift from first to last. Ken, people might be wondering, does or should the pull of sin as disordered loves disappear or at least lessen uh, from our lives when a person trusts in Christ? That's, a, that's such a good question. And what I think is very interesting, Bill, is that, that many people within our Christian churches, we, we talk about, you know, maybe giving our testimony. Mm-hmm. Lord has changed our lives. And I think that, that that's very powerful. It's not merely a, you know, a subjective story. You know, for a person to stop drinking alcohol, for a person to, to move away from a reckless sexual life, you know, these, these are not small things. Um, it's, it's not by chance that Alcoholics Anonymous talks about a higher power. That is, God can change the lives of people. Now, we also recognize, uh, from a biblical point of view, the sanctification is a long process. That disorder is very deep. It's going to take time and transformation for God to reorder our lives. I don't think the Bible teaches that anyone will be perfect in this life, but I do think we should think about not only grace as a gift of salvation, but grace as a power in our lives. And, and again, I think, I think realizing that God has, God and his intended virtues will bring greater fulfillment than anything the flesh, the world, and the devil can offer. Ken, how does understanding what you've been explaining today, the distorting power of sin and the grace of God, but, but how does it help us better understand really ourselves and our world, the situation we find ourselves in, whether here in the U.S. or as we look around around the world? Yes, um, I think I think very clearly it, it's obvious that there's something, there's a deep flaw in human beings. I mean, w- whether you hold a biblical view or, or not, 
I mean, everybody you meet, I've, you know, I have sports heroes. I've had, uh, I, I've even had theological heroes. And then I realize, wow, they, they're broken. There is a flaw within them, just as there is a flaw within me. I think that this is, this helps us explain the human dilemma, the human condition. Uh, humans are different from animals. Animals don't read. They don't write. Uh, you know, they don't engage in logic and science and philosophy. Um, but human beings have those capacities, but we also have these disabilities, these disorders. I think these teachings help us to appreciate the world we live in, that something's gone wrong, and that uh, there is uh, a danger of uh, focusing on temporal things to fulfill your eternal needs. Uh, so I, I think that this can help the individual Christian. It can help non-Christians to give consideration. And ultimately, I think the Bible uh, has great power in terms of its explanation. And, and that's one of the biggest reasons I think for believing in God, that believing in God explains life uh, and the world and our personal experience within it. Well, Ken, as we get close to c completing our discussion today, do you have some suggested further reading? I mean, perhaps something that you've written. Uh, I believe in your article you referenced your book, Seven Truths That Changed the World. That's right. Uh, that was a book that uh, I wrote in 2012, and I have a couple chapters on sin and salvation. Uh, I think that would be very appropriate. Uh, a great little book that I came across many years ago by Anthony Hukuma, who is a Reformed theologian, titled Saved by Grace. He does a great job of marshalling the biblical passages. And there's a wonderful book written by David Noggle, who was a, who was a philosopher friend, uh, at uh, Dallas Baptist uh, University, entitled "Reordered Loves, Reordered Lives: Learning the Deep Meaning of Happiness." That's a that's mm. a terrific little book that I've benefited from. Well, Ken, what are your uh, closing thoughts, if you will, on how, as believers, we should respond to all of this as we head into this new year? Yeah, you know, we 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 think about resolutions mm -hmm. and. Uh, I think a very powerful resolution is to say that I desire the grace of God to reorder my life, to to move me away from these disorders, uh, to to stop engaging in idolatry or the the deeply mistaken thought that anything other than God is going to make me happy. It's going to make me fulfilled. And so, you know, again, I remind people of of the Apostle Paul's statement in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, he says, but because of his great love for us, wow, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. So even when we were pushing away from God and uh, denying God, his grace came into our lives. And that, that should encourage us in the new year and uh, a desire to, to grow in virtue. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, 
Ken Samples, Senior Scholar at Reasons to Believe. We've been discussing his piece, Sin as a Disorder of the Good. You can read it by going to reasons.org. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Emily Bell's on the trend of some Christian colleges eliminating tuition to draw students. But I think the bottom line is they want to be creative. They want to get more students um, enrolled in a Christian education, and they want to eliminate debt for students. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.